Well, good morning. It's so good to have this opportunity today. It's such a treat. Uh, when I left fellowship in 2010, I, I don't think I anticipated getting the chance to do something like this. And to be here this morning uh, has been awesome. was up at Brentwood last week. And so to be at the real Fellowship Bible Church feels good today, right? Yeah, that's, I've been told that more times than you can imagine. Yeah, so. And since my house is so close, this does feel like the real one to me. I can get here a lot easier. Um, it's kind of crazy looking out and seeing some of your faces uh, who've been at Fellowship longer than I have. Um, it was 20 years ago this past Friday when Laura and I sat at a service uh, at Franklin High School, and we were in town for four or five days to try to figure out, is this the place God's leading us? And during one song, uh, there's an old hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting. You know those moments when God like takes a two by four and goes, it was that moment for me. It was crystal clear that he was directing, saying, this is the place I want you for your next season of life. And y'all, we said yes, and we had no idea what we were in for. Good, bad, and ugly, right? What a ride it was. And then fast forward the tape to, to nine years ago this past month, uh, another two by four came upside my head, and it was equally clear and equally God's hand saying, Jeff, time for a transition. Your days are done here. I'm moving you on to something else. And again, what a crazy ride of good, bad, and ugly the last nine years has been. Y'all, there's one thing I know about your story. There's one thing I know about our story is that there has been this uh, incredible consistency in, in the story of fellowship and the story of Jeff and Laura Helton and our family over the last nine years. And I can summarize it in one word, change. I guess the older you get, the more you realize, oh yeah, change. It's just a regular, regular part of life, isn't it? I think what happened for our lives in the last nine years, we've had all of our kids graduate high school, few get through college. We've had weddings of two of our four children. Laura and I both have uh, lost a parent, my dad, a couple years ago, Laura's mom a year ago right now. Uh, we've gone through job transitions and changes, not sure what we were doing, for, not only for us, but for the kids. But maybe the greatest thing that's happened in the last nine years has been the addition of uh, three little grandbabies to our lives. And, and y'all, if you're here today and you don't have children yet and you're thinking about having kids, my word of advice, skip the children, go straight to grandchildren. <laughs> It's awesome. It's the best. Our most recent one, uh, little Rosie Love, was born just this past Tuesday. So if there's a glow on me, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's that, little, it's that little girl. I'm so excited to have this other grandbaby in our lives. We've gone through a lot of change. You know, so have you, Fellowship. You've gone through a lot of change in the last nine years as well. Matter of fact, this place was just a thought nine years ago. I left in May of 2010. Eric came to town later that fall, and, and, and this campus began being launched. I remember when this was a sodium, a, a nonprofit ministry that met here, and then to hear fellowship come in, to watch what God's done here. I just love watching the change that's happened here. I've watched from a distance with, with good friends who still work here or people that I know who are involved at fellowship, and I, I've watched this thriving, incredible marriage ministry develop under Larry's leadership the last several years, and watch what God has been doing to, to restore and redeem and even save some marriages I've watched you guys walk through a difficult and yet good leadership transition that, that was hard. And in some of those moments as we've walked, we've, we've seen God do stuff in the midst of change that he only could do through change. Probably the thing I've enjoyed the most is watching this reclarification process of your values and your mission and using one of my favorite words, wholehearted. I love seeing a church in our community going, we are all about helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. A lot of change for you, a lot of change for us. You know, there's been changes that at times have been fun and exciting, and other times changes that have been terrifying and confusing. There have been changes that have been just overwhelming sense of gladness and seasons of profound sadness. There have been changes that have created deeper faith, and if we're honest, some changes that have really shaken the foundation of our faith. And yet, in the midst of that for these last nine years, in the midst of that for our entire lives, 
can I just remind you that there has been one who has been unchanging, one who has been faithful, one who has been merciful, one who has been gracious, one who has been redeeming, one whose good hand has been upon our lives, guiding us and directing us to accomplish his good purposes, our great God. And so this morning for me to get to be back in a place that, that I have loved and that shaped much of who I am and who my marriage is and who our kids are, it's an honor to open the Bible with you this morning and look at the very first Psalm for us to spend some time on. Now, by the first Psalm, I don't mean Psalm 1. That was robbed two weeks ago. I mean the oldest Psalm, the first Psalm ever written, Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along. I just want to walk us through it this morning, make some observations. And in so doing, I hope what it'll do is it'll allow us to take God's word and again, live it wholeheartedly, be able to really embrace some principles that Moses, the writer of this Psalm, is teaching us. Just a little background for this psalm. If you remember, you know, Israel, who, who always would go a-wandering at times, they get trapped in Egypt as slaves. 400 years, y'all. 400 years trapped as slaves in Egypt. Uh, Moses, born there, he escapes, gets away, and he's living out in the wilderness. And then, and then with this little encounter with a burning bush, God says, go back, get my people, set them free, go meet with Pharaoh. If you remember your Old Testament hero, that's exactly what Moses does. And, and, and he gets there and, and, and it doesn't go so well. And there's this push-pull kind of conversations and plagues and destruction and death. And finally, Pharaoh responds to those iconic words, let my people go. And he says, take your people and go. And they leave. And they leave on what should have been about a 30-day trip from Egypt to the promised land, this land that God had promised to the Israelites, even back through Abraham. But what should have taken 30 days took 40 years. 40 years, the wanderings in the wilderness, we call it. Talking about being lost, dazed, confused. I mean, that was the Israelites in that season. It's in the middle of that season that Moses pins these words that we've come to know as Psalm 90. In the opening sermon of the series that Rob gave, he talked about the importance of us realizing that the Psalms, that they certainly are like a songbook, an old hymnal, if you please, but they also are prayers. And I think as we walk through Psalm 90 this morning, even as we saw the words earlier from some of it, we will see over and over again, man, that's strong. Somebody set that to music. And other places will go, wow, that's true. Teach me to pray that. So we're going to take Moses' words this morning and just see what God might want to say to each of us together this morning. Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 through 4 is where we'll start. Moses writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and you, re and you say, return, O children of Israel, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is in the past or as a watch in the night. Again, these pictures for the Israelites were really crystal clear. Uh, they had been wandering around the wilderness, as I said, for four decades, living in the equivalent of tents, in my mind. Y'all, in my sanctified imagination, it's like they threw their backpacks on. They, they would hike, you know, all two million of them. They would hike through the wilderness trying to find, hey, where do we go right or left here? And at some point, the packs would come off. They'd grab the tents. They'd pop them up. They'd crawl in. They'd call it a day. Even in the middle of the wilderness, when God shows up to Moses and, and he commands them through the Ten Commandments and through other things, he says, hey, create a portable tabernacle. I mean, y'all, they are living as temporary as you can imagine. Everything is temporary. It's like portable church on steroids. And then Moses sits down in the midst of these people who Scripture tells us they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're not happy with anything. And Moses pins these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Why is that significant? Moses is in effect saying to the children of Israel, hey, listen, I'm going to pray this prayer. We're going to sing this song, but catch this. You think that the wilderness is our home? It's not. 
You think these tents are your place? It's not. Our home, our dwelling place is the eternal God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Y'all, there's days, I think we all need that reminder. I remember in 2003 when we moved into the new building up in Brentwood and we were so proud, we were so excited. This beautiful campus, a wonderful learning center. And then I remember 2011 getting to walk through here and seeing what y'all had done in this place and it's this beautiful place. But can I remind you, this isn't your home. I mean, I mean, even the place where you lay your head down at night and where you pay your mortgage for, I mean, wherever that is, that's not your home, not ultimately. And Moses is reminding these people in the midst of grumbling and complaining, hey, our God, he's our dwelling place. He's our safe place. He's our home. Maybe none of you struggle with this, but a lot of people at Brentwood do. That is the grumbling and complaining. I'm kidding. Sorry. But, but in, in the grumbling and complaining that we all do, we need to be brought back to Moses' words, Lord, Lord, you are dwelling place. You're the real home. I love how Moses moves on. He says, you know, you return man to dust. It simply stated, life ends. He's going to teach us more about that in just a minute. He says, but even though life ends, a thousand years in your sight, oh God, they're like one day. What we call a thousand years, God, you crunch that all into one day. I was playing around with some math and trying to figure out the math on this. And I think, if I got it right, that, that if we live 75 years in God's economy, according to Moses, it goes by just in minutes, y'all. It just flies by so quickly. In other words, God, you really are from everlasting to everlasting. You are eternal. There is no sense of time in your world. If I were to summarize these first four verses, I would use Isaac Watts' words from an old hymn, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. In these first four verses, Moses is saying, God is our eternal home. And living life wholeheartedly requires us to embrace that truth. God, you are my home. In our lives that are filled with changes and transition, in our lives that, where we live exponentially in more temporary dwelling places than we realize, Moses says, remember your home. And your home's not here, it's in him. And then Moses keeps praying. He keeps writing. He says, hey, in, in the midst of this truth about how everlasting to everlasting our God is, uh, man, let me remind you, your lives are a little different than that. Verses five and following, listen to these words. For you, O God, sweep them, us, mankind, for you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to fear of you? A lot of heavy words in those words. Some words that even cause us to ponder, well, wait, God's angry? God's wrathful? What? Who? Who? What? What? Y'all, again, for those original hearers, every word they're going, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yep, I've lived it. So when Moses says, years are swept away like a flood, you know the picture that comes to their mind? It is those dry desert moments in, in the wilderness when they're wandering. And the riverbed that used to be filled with water is completely dry. It's just barren with cracked earth. But flash floods would come, and, and in a matter of a second, whoosh, there'd just be this huge amount of water, and things that had been that bad, just taken away. They were going, yep, you're right, our lives are like a flood. They're just here, boom, everything's gone. 
Or he, or he says, um, like grass that is renewed in the morning, it fades, it withers. Again, the symbolism, the imagery they saw was these hillsides during a certain time of the year where, where there's this beautiful small little green grass that's there in the morning from the dew and the, the coolness of the night, but by the end of the day or within hours, just withered up, brown, gone. They're going, yep, you're right. It goes fast, doesn't it? Uh, and then there's this picture of the images of God's wrath and God's anger. And y'all, at first, this can be confusing if we haven't studied and understand the background here. It can be troubling. But it's not anger like we think of it. It's not reactionary, out of control, I'll beat you up, I'm a bully anger at all. Rather, it's an anger and a wrath connected to God's holiness and his justice. See, the Israelites, they were well aware of their disobedience. They were well aware that what they had done violated God's promise to them. They knew full well that they were living under this death sentence, if you please, under this wrath that God had said, look, for those of you who left Egypt because of what's happened, you'll not enter the promised land. Again, remember the context. Two million people traping through the wilderness. Scholars tell us that about a million people died during those 40 years. You know, that's like 70 funerals a day. They were well aware that we're living under God's justice, this death sentence. We will not see the promised land. For these people, there was this sense of going, wow, this is the reality of our life. It goes fast. It moves quicker than we think. Y'all, let's be honest for a second. This section can really sound depressing and discouraging at first glance. I mean, we finish our years with a sigh. Those years are filled with toil and trouble. Have a great Sunday. I mean, it's like, really? That's all you got for me this morning, Moses? I need something happy. Y'all, this is not a depressing and discouraging chapter to me. It's a gut check chapter. It's a reality chapter. It's a recalibration chapter. God is our eternal home and know this, that, that this life is moving so quickly. If the first four verses are summarized by the old hymn, God is our eternal home. I think this next section can be summarized by the old Kenny Chesney song. Life goes faster than you think. Don't blink. It's going quick. You know, I, I, I learned that lesson two years ago this past April. My dad called me one morning. He said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling to breathe. My dad had turned 90 a month earlier and, and he had congestive heart failure. And usually I was able to kind of keep his medicine in balance and he was fine. I said, all right, well, I'll come pick you up. And we knew the drill. We went to the hospital, went to the ER. They took us back. They threw a little IV in him, got, him, got a lot of the, the fluid off of his heart. And, you know, usually eight to 10 hours later, we would leave. And, and so about 6.30 that night, we got in the car and we were, we were leaving. We were headed back to where he was living at the time. He was living in this uh, the senior citizen's unassisted home, you know, or, or as I call it, a senior citizen's frat house. I mean, it's kind of scary, honestly. But anyway, uh, so, so, so we, 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 we were driving back and dad said, hey, let's get something to eat. So we went to one of his favorite restaurants, Wendy's, um, got his Baconator, large fries and large Sprite. Wonder why he had heart problems. And... Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, it was, it was a blast. We get back and we go in. I get him set up and we're just sitting in his little room, talking, laughing, reminiscing on the day. And just like always, I say, all right, Pops, I'll pop by tomorrow. I'll make sure everything's good. Have a great sleep. I'll see you in the morning. And I left. The next morning, as, as, as it would happen, at 7 o'clock, I had to take our, our 11-year-old boxer to the vet to put her down. I had no idea how hard that was. And so I'm an emotional basket case already. We get back to the house and telling the kids and Laura how it went and uh, by the time the phone rings, I answer it, and it's a guy on the other end from the home where dad lives, and he says, hey, uh, can you get over here pretty quickly? We need to talk to you about your dad. I said, well, sure. What's going on? He goes, just get here fast. And I hung up the phone. I thought, oh, this isn't good news. 
So I drove over and pulled in the parking lot, saw two police cars, I saw an ambulance, and my heart just sunk, and I thought, oh, maybe, oh, I don't know. And I walked back past people through two police officers, go in, walk around the corner in his little room and looked in the restroom, and there my father is, had taken a fall in the middle of the night. It was fatal. And I did what many of us would do. I took two steps back, I waddled back, I fell on his bed, and I just burst into tears, and I heard myself saying, no, no, not now. No, Dad, not now. Why? No, not now. And I sat up after a few minutes and I looked and I'm looking at his, his body lying there and, and I kind of chuckled, <laughs> kind of a weird response. But I chuckled because when I looked at him, I thought, well, the one he loved his whole life, he's now seeing face to face. And then I thought about this. I thought the number of times my dad uh, would lead music at church. Back in the day, dad was a song leader before they were worship pastors. And one of his favorite songs were these simple old Southern gospel lyrics. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Y'all, it may not be great lyrics, but it's incredible theology. And my dad truly modeled how to live his life that way, even to the end. So simple. When, when five years early, when we moved my dad from East Tennessee over here with us, and he had just lost his, his wife. My mom had died years ago. Uh, we were loading up a, a little trailer we had there of his stuff. And I said, dad, I need to go get a, a U-Haul. He goes, nah, we're leaving it. I said, dad, you just sold the house to a family member. There's bedrooms, there's table. Ah, we don't need it. I said, Dad, this is some furniture. He said, wow, we don't need it. I think back on that so many times now. I'm going, my dad really had this idea, didn't he? That that place, that wasn't his home. That stuff, it didn't matter. Life was going fast. We didn't know he'd only have five more years, but he wanted to drink deep of his son and of his grandkids. I think Moses is saying to us, remember, this life is short. And outside of our work with God, this life, Solomon will say years later, it's really meaningless. Especially when I compare it to how many of us live our lives. Going for the gusto, getting all you can get, living large, be all you can be, carpe diem, seize the day, YOLO, FOMO, hashtag best life ever. When our lives are focused on, man, how do I get it all? Moses is screaming, saying, slow down. All that stuff you're getting, it may not be worth getting. There may be something more to life than just this. See, the point of this part of the psalm is not that life doesn't matter. The point of this part of the psalm is don't, don't get stuff. That's not what Moses is saying at all. He's just saying, remember, whatever you're doing, it goes brief, it goes quick, faster than you can think. And anything you create, anything you gain, anything you build is meaningless outside of life in your everlasting home, our great God. So how do you respond to that? If these true, two truths are true, that God is our eternal home, and life goes faster than you think, how do we respond? In my mind, this is where Moses goes, ah, this is some good stuff. Get ready, people. We're going to sing this one. Verses 12 and following. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Probably the most familiar verse in this last part of Psalm 90 is verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What a great prayer. 
It's where it all begins. If we're going to respond to these truths, God, your everlasting ho- our home, and, and life goes faster than we think, then teach us, number these days that we have in light of your eternal calendar, oh God. In other words, don't let a day just simply pass by. You know, numbering doesn't mean count. It means consider. Think about the weightiness of. Realize the importance of. I have had such a blast watching my son Jacob prepare for this little baby girl that was born this past Tuesday. Uh, Jacob, for you Enneagram people, is an Enneagram six. So what that means is he's constantly thinking, worst case scenario. He's in constant preparation mode. He's always aware of what may be happening next. And about a week and a half before this precious little girl was born, Jacob called me up one morning, you know, and, and he's processing all this. And, and he says, hey, dad, um, tonight's going to be a full moon. You know, full moons often induce labor. I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Next day, hey, dad, Gracie Hope, she slept a lot last night. Sometimes that means the body's resting up for labor. I said, oh, it could be. Next day, <laughs> can you hear this? Next day, dad, Jake, uh, Jake said, uh, Gracie hopes she didn't sleep much last night. She got sick. So I think today's going to be the day. I mean, every day it was like something. And uh, then he goes, hey, dad, her back was really hurting. Today. I think that's the back labor. We're having the baby day. I said, Jacob, what are you, an OB? I mean, <laughs> settle down. I didn't say that. You know why I didn't? Because I loved it. I loved it every day he woke up with something from the farmer's almanac or wherever he found it going, this is the day. <laughs> This is the day. I'm numbering this day. I love my wife. I can't wait to meet this little girl. Maybe it's today. Wow. You know what I love about that? He's living what Moses said. Today's an important day. I better pay attention. I don't want to miss a thing. Don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to miss anything. Whatever's going to happen, I want to pay attention. Because here's what I know. Something greater is coming. When did we forget that? This place we called home, Moses saying, yeah, it's good. Enjoy it. Drink deep. And know this, there's a day coming. There's something coming. My, my boy, he got that by the anticipation of a little baby. Y'all, what an invitation to us to live Psalm 90 that same way. See, when, our, when, when we number our days, Moses says what happens is God expands our heart with wisdom. To consider our days in light light of God's greater purpose. To to invest our days in a way that matters in light of our eternal God. You know, I wonder, how often do you stop and really evaluate how you spent the day? I mean, I can get in that mode where I'm just locked and loaded and I just go through the same old stuff, right? And I wake up like a week, a month, six months later and I go, man, where did all that time go? What did I do? What happened? And Moses is saying, slow down, number each day. Why? So that the work of our hands would be established. I love those last couple of verses. Let the work of our hands really be established. Y'all, when I held this little baby girl on Tuesday afternoon, little rosy love, I'm looking in her face and I'm just going, God, I don't know how many years I have. But would you use the work of my hands? Would you use my life in some way to encourage, to protect, to cheer for, to, to, to be one more voice in her life that says, God's up to something good in your life. That's what Moses is saying. When we live with wise hearts, when we number our days, he wants to establish the very work of our hands. Earlier in this psalm, we we see that our lives are like grass that's consumed, a flood that takes it away. It goes quick. But when we number our days and keep in step with God's plan, Moses is saying, guess what? Just the opposite can be true. Though our lives may pass away, established hands and the work of those established hands will not be according to Moses. Moses has taken us from the truth of how God's our eternal home to the truth of our lifespan, fast, temporary, moves quick, to the reality that we can use our days with wisdom 
and do work that's eternal, that has impact, much like the story we heard uh, that came out of Guatemala earlier this morning. N.T. Wright summarizes Moses' prayer in the final verses of this chapter this way. So make us to be people who know how to stand at the threshold of human time and God's time. And they are to learn both humility and hope. Our time is not worthless, but any worth it may possess comes from God's goodness, not our control of our circumstances. Said differently and more simplistically, Andy Stanley says it this way, we are to live our We are to live as if our life has a point and we are not it. Think about that. Like we should say that one out loud almost, right? You know, it's like we are to live our our lives as if our life has a point, but we are not it. Y'all, in May of 2010, when we left here, that was a message God was beating into my head. My last year or so on staff at Fellowship, a lot of changes were happening, things going on in me, confusion, thoughts. And you know, there was just this sense of going, I love this place, I want to be here, I don't fit anymore. What does that mean? How do I go? Well, why don't they? You ever do that? Well, if they only saw, if they could just do this, and suddenly I was Mr. Victim, making sure everybody else in in my mind knew how they were wrong and I was right. And I felt like God just kept bringing Psalm 90 right back to me. And I would keep coming to it. And I would think of these words, Jeff, there is a point to your life, but it's not what you think it is. Jeff, I am up to something, but it may not be exactly what you thought it was going to be. And y'all, I can look back now nine years later, and I get to be the voice of one standing in front of you this morning saying, hey, when you think it's falling apart, when you think it's wrong, when you think it's jacked up, chill. God's up to something. He's doing something more than you can ask, think, or imagine. So what? Back in the old days of fellowship, y'all, when we were in the high school, we used to ask that question at the end of every sermon. We'd just say, so what? You know, Lloyd would preach, and maybe I would get up afterwards and say, hey, in light of God's truth that you've heard this morning, so what? What is the Spirit of God saying to you that you need to act on today? And we would give like 30 seconds, and, and, and you know, you'd write stuff down, and, and our thinking was simple. Man, walk out the door with a to-do action item, not based on what Lloyd or me had taught, but based on what God's Word says. It's almost like this morning, I want you to do a so what for a second. I want you to pause and just say, hey, God, what are you doing in my life? Where is the truth of your word challenging me today to see you as my eternal home, to live with with a heart of wisdom, to to be content in knowing that you are in control? Rob kicked this series off um, called Psalms for the Heart with this phrase. I quote him. He said, the Psalms are prayers that teach us how to relate with God and to speak to God with wholeheartedness about our lives. Our thoughts, choices, desires, and emotions. And there's the fellowship language now, isn't it? (coughs) To live wholeheartedly. You know, sometimes we relate and speak to God wholeheartedly with full hearts. Excitement, anticipation, hope, joy. Y'all, that's been this week for us. We found an excuse to go by our son's house every day to see this little grandbaby. (laughs) We're wholeheartedly involved. But sometimes we relate and speak to God with whole hearts that are broken, with fears, with pain with hurts, with sorrows. Like Moses, we we walk a journey that at moment is filled with joy, but it's also filled with sorrow and sin and pain and disappointment and brokenness and hurt. So so where does that play out in your life? Even this morning as we're sitting here, maybe it's a career uh, path or something going on in your job. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage. You're just feeling like, wow, this doesn't feel right. Or, or maybe it's in your parenting. Or maybe it's with your parents. Or, or maybe it's other relational issues or, or financial woes, health concerns, whatever it may be. Where is this morning where you're just going, man, I feel that angst that my heart needs something. 
Psalm 90 invites us to do this, to pause in the midst of those moments. In the midst of the grumbling and the complaining, in the midst of the seasons that feel like we're wandering in the wilderness, Moses says, stop, stop, wake up, wake up. I've got something else to tell you. God hasn't forgotten you. He's your eternal home. Your day may be going by quickly, but number those precious days you have and watch him grow your heart with wisdom. Watch him establish the work of your hands. Y'all, our days are limited. They'll always end. And how we live them really, really matters. Part of our so what this morning, I think, is simply this. So how am I living my life? In 2003, Lewis Smedes, a professor, godly seminarian, teacher, fell off of a ladder taking down Christmas lights and died. His family found these words in a journal he had written. I think they illustrate Moses' hearts really clearly to us. He wrote, I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year. Spiral bound, black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages filled with blank boxes. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in at that moment. Each square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with this book, I will fill the squares with the classes I teach, people with whom I eat lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through, and those are only the things I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with many things I do not write down. Thousands of cups of coffee, some praying, time with my wife, and I hope acts of kindness to my neighbors. Whatever I do each day has to fit inside of one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are the walls of time that organize my life. Each box has an invisible door that leads to the next square. And as if by silent stroke, the door opens and I'm pulled through as if by a magnet sucked into the next square in line. And there I will once again fill the time frame that seals me, fill it with my busyness just as I did the square before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of those squares will be terminal. I do not know which square it will be. Moses is saying, that's the squares of your life. You think you may have them forever, but it comes to an end. To me, it's not depressing, it's encouraging. So every square I have, I want to live it fully alive to the glory of God by numbering my days. Y'all, we're all filling our squares with something. The question for you this morning is, is with what? And is there any place that the Spirit's inviting you to adjust what or how you're filling it? That's the invitation from this psalm. And so for you, for me, may we all live in light of this eternal home that we have in God through Christ. May we all live numbering these days that go so much quicker than we think. And may we be satisfied with his great love that leads us to the place where he wants to establish the very work of our hands.